Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show and happy Friday. We made it. We are awaiting at this hour the release of the body cam footage and other videos in the Paul Pelosi home invasion case. They did not want to release this stuff, but a bunch of media organizations took to the court to demand it, and they won. It is expected to drop at any moment. Noon is the time it's expected, which it is now, and we will bring it to you as soon as we get our hands on it. This comes as another video is breaking the internet, as they say, the latest in the Project Veritas undercover investigations featuring a top Pfizer executive. This is the guy in charge of research and development speaking very freely and, you could argue, alarmingly. When he's confronted by James O'Keefe, you know, that moment when James O'Keefe sort of pops out of the shadows, things get really uncomfortable and kind of violent. Joining me now is Michael Knowles, host of The Michael Knowles Show over on The Daily Wire. Michael, so, so glad to have you here. How are you? Megan, great as always to be with you. Thank you for having me. Don't you love James O'Keefe? I mean, he's just such a, he's a muckraker, right? He's just a stirrer of all sorts of excrement in a great way. You know, in this clip in particular, James O'Keefe proves that he is the Chris Hansen of politics. When he <laughs> walks into that room, he says, hey, uh, mind if I have a seat right over here? Uh, what are you doing here? Are you, do you work for Pfizer? And then actually, Megan, just moments ago before I came on, a classmate of mine reminded me that I actually went to college with this guy. This Pfizer executive no. was a year below me in college, and which makes perfect sense now because he has absolutely all the characteristics of uh, so many of my more aggressive activist liberal classmates, uh, which is that he's uh, extremely ambitious, extremely cynical, willing to lie the first chance that it suits him, outraged whenever he faces consequences for his actions. And then uh, by the, the very end of that, uh, that expose, he says, well, I'm, I'm lying. I, I'm just, I'm a liar. I was lying on this date. Nothing I said on camera was true. And I thought, buddy, that's not a great defense of yourself. If your defense <laughs> no. is that I can't believe you, uh, I'm going to have to go with the video. Exactly. Exactly. I'll accept the spirit of your remarks. However, they don't apply to the part you're referring to. Mm -hmm. Yale, right, Michael, if memory serves? <laughs> yeah? okay. It's really, really uh, decayed from those early days of Eli. I don't, something, <laughs> something's going on in New Haven. They got to figure can, out. They're, they're not sending their get it now. My God, they'd say, Michael, well, good God. No, he wouldn't even let him step foot on campus. All right, mm -hmm. so let's walk the audience through it. This is, um, the guy's name is Jordan Tristan Walker of Pfizer. And again, this is their head of research and development, according to Project Veritas. And they unleashed one of their undercover journalists to go, quote unquote, interview this guy. Um, so Jordan Tristan Walker is one of the voices you'll hear. And then you'll hear the undercover um, uh, Project Veritas reporter sort of pressing him. And we have a few shots, so we're going to walk you through it. Here's the first where uh, Jordan Walker talks about what Pfizer's doing to explore the COVID virus so that it can allegedly create a new vaccine. But what it's doing to the COVID virus sounds rather concerning. Here it is. Shot one. 
We're exploring, like, no, you know how the virus keeps mutating? Yeah. Well, one of the things we're exploring is, like, why don't we just mutate it ourselves so we can, uh, we can create unsupported developed new vaccines, right? So we have to do that. If we're going to do that, though, there's a risk of, like, as you could imagine, no one wants to be having a pharma company mutating fucking viruses. Yeah. So okay. we're like, do we want to do this? <laughs> so that's, like, one of the things we're considering. Okay. So, like, the future, like, maybe we can, like, create new versions of the vaccines and things like that. Okay, so Pfizer ultimately is thinking about mutating COVID? Well, that is not what we say to the public. No. That's why it was, a, it was a thought that came up in a meeting, and we were like, why, why do we not? It was like, we're going to consider that. we more discussions. Oh my God. Like, first of all, he's so giggly. This is clearly like an alleged date setup. This is generally how James does it. Um, and so it's two guys out together, clearly drinking, and this guy's super giggly. And it's so fun that they're going to mutate the COVID virus, Michael, so that Pfizer can test new vaccines on it and then make more billions of dollars, one presumes. That clip is also where this guy's excuse at the end that he was lying and just making it up on the date. It's where, where it also falls apart because he's so specific. He's so fluent in the way that he's describing uh, Pfizer engaging in gain-of-function research. This is not the first time this has occurred to him. This is not just a thought that he has popped into his mind to impress somebody on a date. I don't know why this would be impressive, by the way, to say, hey, my company is doing really nefarious things, the, uh, the, the sort of research that very likely caused the pandemic in the first place. And then he says, we, we're not honest with the public. We're not telling them what we're actually doing, but this is very specifically what we're doing. And then, of course, when he gets caught, he says, hey, forget everything I said. I, I was just lying <laughs> here. But, but in... In fairness to this guy, uh, he, one, I'm grateful to him for exposing what Pfizer is almost certainly actually engaged in. Same. But two, what he's doing is, is no different from what Dr. Fauci did. When, when this guy at the end of the video, James O'Keefe nails him and he says, no, that's not true. We, we're not engaging in gain of function. That's all made up. That's what Dr. Fauci said before the U.S. Senate when he perjured under himself oath. under questioning under oath in front of Rand Paul. He said, we are not engaging in gain of function research. We've <laughs> never funded it. And then Rand Paul brings the receipts of the specific research he was funding. And what does Fauci say? He goes, well, uh, and if we were funding it, it's totally fine. He got caught absolutely red handed. And so I think, OK, this guy, Jordan Walker, is going to be held to account. I assume he's going to lose his job. Well, what about Dr. Fauci? That guy keeps getting plaudits and, and wonderful laudatory documentaries about him. He, he's doing the same thing on a much larger scale. That's a good point. You know, the um, I wonder whether this guy's going to lose his job because very few media outlets seem interested in the James O'Keefe tapes and we're mm. going to play more of them. And, and, and unless the pressure is put on Pfizer to explain whether in fact it's doing this and to comment on its senior executives, he's third in line from CEO, according to our look at the chart, um, he, they're going to keep doing it. They're going to get away with it, which is truly outrageous. Now, you are having uh, some top doctors weigh in on this, saying how outrageous this is. We'll get to some of that as well. Uh, Pfizer, I hope, will be forced to respond to this on the record with whether it's doing this or not. Uh, before we get to, because the reporter does say, that sounds an awful lot like gain of function research, where you take the bug and you find ways to make it more lethal or more contagious. And they have an exchange about that. I'll play it in one second. But first, let's listen to Jordan Trister Walker of Pfizer tell this undercover Project Veritas reporter about the testing they are doing on monkeys or how it would work with their monkeys. Sat to. 
So, um, the way it would work is like we put them in the virus in these monkeys, okay, and then we successively like cause them to keep infecting each other. And we collect serial samples from them, and then the ones that are more infectious, like the virus, we'll put them in another monkey and just constantly actively mutate it. That's one way, okay. or you can even do like directed like simulation, which like we turn off the fur, and then you just sample what the different like, um, like uh, proteins on the surface of the virus look like over time. Okay. So then you can see the mutation and you can kind of force it to mutate in a certain way you want. Okay. But you have to be like very controlled to make sure that this virus that you mutate doesn't create something that, like, you know, it goes everywhere. Something crazy. It's the way that the virus started in Wuhan, to be honest. Like, it's, it makes no sense if this virus popped out of nowhere. Like, yeah, I know. Okay, we're all with Jordan Tristan Walker on that last point. Even though this morning, literally just this morning, I listened to NPR's uh, podcast and they were it, the whole thing for five minutes. They're going off about how the virus came from a natural source. There's zero evidence it came from a Wuhan uh, from the from the Wuhan lab. It definitely came from a market. I mean, and like zero proof that it came from a lab. Where is the proof that it came from an animal? They, they tested 80,000 of them and never found it in any event. So now you have one of t- Pfizer's top executives on camera saying uh, this is how I suspect this man-made mutations uh, that the virus started in Wuhan. To be honest, it makes little sense. The virus popped up out of nowhere. Yes, word. N- tell the truth. Many of us suspected this from the beginning when the official storyline was that the pandemic came from a bad batch of bat soup at the Wuhan wet market that just coincidentally was right down the road from the Wuhan Institute of Virology where they were conducting this research. I I think those of us paying attention knew what this was about from the beginning. But the good news is, I think by this point, now we're pushing three years later, Uh, The public has seen the evidence, and no matter what NPR says, no matter what the crooked Pfizer spokesmen say, I think people know what is up. And and so we no longer trust Big Pharma. You know, living in a country where you can't even trust Big Pharma executives, what has this nation come to? And so now the question for us is, what do we do about it? These are the people who lied to us about the origin of COVID, about the virulence of COVID, about the efficacy of the vaccines, about the safety of the vaccines, about the tests that they subjected the vaccines to. They lied to us about everything, the masks and the social distancing and the whole kit and caboodle. So what are we going to do about it? I think this is the the part where at least the conservatives, if not more good faith liberals and people in the center, will go in and say, we need to wield the political order to punish Pfizer and to regulate Pfizer. And it becomes a big problem because of of the issue of regulatory capture. Very often, Mm -hmm. the agencies that are supposed to regulate these these companies are totally beholden to these companies, are being funded by these companies. Hold that thought, because I definitely want you to talk more about that. but I'm going to tee it up first. I'll get us there in the story as we tell the story together. So uh, undercover journalist listens to this guy saying, oh, we're going to we get the monkeys and then we successfully cause them to keep infecting each other. And we collect the samples from them and um, we put it in another monkey and you just constantly actively mutate it uh, and says, uh, yeah, so this is going to be something you know, we have to be really careful, though, because we could create something like, you know, that just goes everywhere. And that's when he makes the point like, that's what I think happened in U- in Wuhan. Now, this is crazy because let's keep in mind the people who we believe did it in, U- in Wuhan were um, Chinese uh, scientists working for the Chinese government. And with the help of Peter Daszak's group, EcoHealth Alliance, this scientific research group here in the United States that we all fund. But it wasn't a drug company who would mm-hmm. stay who would stand to benefit to the tune of 
80 billion dollars. That was revenue for Pfizer last year. It's very complicated when you have the person who's going to fix the problem creating the problem. Right. That that's a bridge too far. Uh, Not to not to say it's not a bridge too far to have the others doing it. So here we are. That's the problem. Now, the undercover journal says, gee, it really sounds like gain of function. (laughs) Kind of sounds like the thing where you take the virus and make it more contagious or more dangerous. And here's that exchange in part. So three. I mean, when is Pfizer going to implement the mutation of all these viruses? I don't know. It depends on how the experiments work out. Because this is just like something that's fine, right? It sounds like gain of function to me. I don't know. It's a little bit different. I think it's different. It's like there's... It's definitely not gain of function. It sounds like it is. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, directed evolution is very different. <laughs> Direct evolution? Directed evolution. Directed evolution. Okay. <laughs> well, so, I mean... Is that what it is? Maybe. I, I, I don't know. Well, you're not supposed to do gain function research with the viruses. Like, yeah. They recommend not. But you do like these like selected directional mutations to try to see if you can make more potent. Yeah. So there, there is research I'm going about that. I don't know how that's going to work. There better not be any more outbreaks because like Jesus Christ. There better not be any more outbreaks. Correct, Jordan. We all agree with that. But there it is right there. It's not, it's not exactly gain of function. It's directed evolution where we're trying to see if we can make the viruses more potent. Do you feel better? It's not gain of function. It's um, increase of utility procedures. (laughs) It sounds like a euphemism to me for the exact sort of research that the questioner pretending to be on a date has talked about. And what's so amazing about that exchange is imagine you're on this date. And this guy just keeps pestering you with questions about this very controversial, nefarious sort of program that your company is, is engaged in. You keep answering and you keep telling the truth and you can see Jordan Walker's, his, his blinkers start to go on and eventually he says, well, I don't know, this is kind of weird, why are you asking me these questions? But, but he's so fluent in this research because it is happening that he just keeps talking about it. I think oh when, you, when you watch more and more of the video, it becomes clear this is really happening. If I, if I had to bet the, the farm right now, I would bet Pfizer is engaging in this research and this guy got caught red-handed. Me too. He, he seems to me like he's enjoying himself. He's having a couple drinks and the drinks are acting like a truth serum. And if you're going to try to impress somebody on a date, you're going to talk about like the size of your wallet or your bicep or your good character. You're not going to be talking about <laughs> your weird potency research at Pfizer in this kind of level of detail. That's who the hell does that turn on? Um, By the way, just for color, Dr. Robert Malone, uh, who helped invent the mRNA vaccines, um, he had this to say, and I think he sums it up in SOP4. If this is the quality of individuals within Pfizer that are making these huge decisions that uh, risk global public health, it's profoundly corrupt. Yeah, correct. Right. Like this is the guy we're entrusting our health to and the future health of our children to. When the liberal establishment yells at all of the awful, unvaccinated, skeptical conspiracy theorist people for not trusting the public authorities, uh, the only answer can be yes, we don't trust the public authorities. And that's not our fault. If the public authorities were not constantly lying to us and then bragging about lying to us and then lying to us some more after they got caught red-handed, I would be more inclined to trust them. 
but it's been at least three years now that they've been doing this. They keep getting caught red-handed. And so don't accuse me of wearing a tinfoil hat when I simply repeat their words back to them. They are liars. Michael, how old are you? So how old is this I, guy? Uh, you know, a lady never tells Megan, but I'm 32 <laughs> years young. <laughs> so he, and he was right behind you or right in front of you? Yeah, he was one year behind me. So he's either 31 or 32. Is it possible he's actually head of R&D at Pfizer? I mean, it just seems too young. It seems too inexperienced. Well, even if he's not the tippy top head of it, I don't know how the corporate structure of Pfizer works. He has a director level position. He's working on these things specifically. It was right there on his LinkedIn before he scrubbed it. It was there uh, uh, on Pfizer's documents before they tried to scrub those from the internet. So I, I think that probably what Pfizer and the, the libs will try to do now is they'll say, oh, this was a low level employee. Yes. This is always what happens when they get caught. It's a low-level staffer, but it's not a low-level staffer. You can hear that from the fluency with which this guy talks about these issues and, and the, the information yeah. that he knows about the procedures that are going on. It's true. And listen to you. You're brilliant and you're his age. So it's like it can happen. You, know, it. you can get the whippersnappers who really <laughs> wow people from Yale. And before you know it, they're running Pfizer R&D. And his title, you know, it certainly makes it sound like he is. And Project Veritas is asserting that he is just two titles below CEO Albert Borla. So here's the moment. All right. Here's the mo this is the, the James O'Keefe moment that has made James like a nearly household name. The surprise confrontation where he comes out. <laughs> He comes out and uh, I mean, if you're listening to this, you got to you can go on YouTube and watch this with me and Michael. You should go check out Project Veritas's website where the whole thing runs. But here's a bit of the confrontation. Sat five. Hey there. Is this seat taken? You work for Pfizer. My question for you is why does Pfizer want to hide from the public? the fact oh that they're God. mutating the COVID viruses. Is this real life? I'm literally a yeah. liar. What I was trying to impress a person on a date What's your by position? lying. And this please, is please, absurd. Please don't touch me. Well, this is not, by the way, why don't, you doing don't tell anybody. Someone who's just working in a company to literally help the public. You f up. You really did. Please bring the cops. I'm serious about lying. I'm very unsafe. Please bring the cops. I'm feeling very unsafe right now. Yeah, you're feeling unsafe. Okay. Right. Retreats right to like, I'm unsafe because I got called out on my bad behavior. Uh, and you can always tell when the voice goes super high. Oh, mm -hmm. oh, I was lying. I said, no, oh, it wasn't true. This is every scene from To Catch a Predator. I mean, th I, this is why I think of James O'Keefe as the political Chris Hansen, because what happens? Chris Hansen walks in and you've got the weird sex guy standing over in the corner and he's got, you know, his movies and popcorn or whatever. And he says, why don't you have a seat over here? And what's the first thing out of the guy's mouth every time? He says, I wasn't going to do anything. I was just lying in the transcripts. I was just lying about everything. It was all dishonest. This guy is giving the exact same answer. And this guy is presenting himself as a predator, not as a sexual predator driving to some person's house, but as, as a public predator, as, as someone attempting to deceive the public on a very, very important, dangerous issue from one of the most powerful corporations in the world. Mm. All right. Here's the next scene where uh, it devolves into a bit of an altercation. This is the, <laughs> the uh, amount of like terror this guy has, knowing what he just said that he was being taped and that this is going to come out. Uh, it's SOT 6. Let's unlock the door. Give me, why is going on here? 
Please unlock. Please unlock the door. Please unlock the door. 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 This is this is remarkable here. Thank you. Thank you. We're trying to get unlock the door. Unlock the door. Unlock the door. Unlock the door. It is not. Stop, let go of me, now you're hurting me. What is going on here? You cannot just record people like that. It's not okay. Oh, he's clearly intoxicated. And for the listening audience, what you saw there was the guy, according to James's reporting and what I see with my own eyes, tried to grab the, the equipment from the Project Veritas recording crew, the iPad, the camera, and try to destroy them because he thought somehow that was going to be the answer to his problem. I feel a little sorry for him in that moment. I'm not going to lie. But <laughs> this is the problem. Like when you work for a company like that and you stop, you talk about their infuriating secrets so openly, um, it's probably going to induce panic in the larger public and in you once you realize what you've done. Well, he realized that he got caught. An innocent man who's doing nothing wrong doesn't react in this way. And he could say, well, I was just following orders. A lot of people have said that throughout history. But when you go to work, when you sign up to work for a company, you're putting your, your life on the line. You're putting your soul on the line. You're, you're putting your, your moral self on the line. And when you do things that are Im- immoral on behalf of your company, you are culpable for that. And, and so th- this guy reacts in a way that does not look good for him at all and is not going to work. First of all, even if he gets the iPad, there are, what, four or five cameras filming over here. Right. He's not, not going to grab smart. all of them. Two, James O'Keefe is a pretty buff guy, actually. And, you know, as much as I love my fellow Yaleys, we're good at a lot of things, singing a cappella, occasionally dancing <laughs> to musical theater. But generally speaking, we're not the most physically intimidating guys in the world. This was never <laughs> going to end well. John the Revelator came down from the mountain. <laughs> he could, I'm sure that he could beat James O'Keefe in a uh, Gilbert and Sullivan contest, but you're not going to beat the entire film crew with the bodyguards. It's oh. not going to happen. It's an act by a drunk, desperate man who can sense what he's actually just done. Totally irresponsible. But to your point, glad he did it and glad James did it because... We deserve to know this. They're mm-hmm. sticking that needle in our arms and our children's arms right now. They're, they're still having mandatory vaccine programs all over the country. They're trying to bring them back in schools and so on. They're still in our school. Um, and then to your point about why this is so pernicious, because the people who approve that vaccine and are supposed to be holding Pfizer responsible and accountable for its role in the public health system are on the take. They're basically on the take because they are banking on getting a big job at Pfizer when they leave the FDA or potentially the CDC, as they have been doing for years. That's where they cash in these public regulators who are looking out for us. And they discuss that, too. Here's an interesting soundbite on um, that exact point. Soundbite eight. For all government officials. Wow. Yeah, for any industry though. So like in the farm industry, all the government uh, officials who like you know review our drugs, once yeah. they come work for farming companies. Like the military, like all the like army and defense, like government officials eventually go work for the defense companies afterwards. Yeah. How do you feel about that revolving door? Like it's pretty good for the industry to be honest. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's bad for everyone else in America. Why is it bad for everybody else? Because if the regulators, so if the people have drugs, know that once they stop being a regulator, they want to work for the company, they're not going to be as hard for the company. They're doing their job. Right. Jordan. He nails it. Once again, he, that's I mean, of course, we all know he is telling the truth. That is true. That's not a lie, though he claimed it to be later. We pulled the stats. Uh, Science Mag in 2018 did a report. Fifteen of the 26 employees who left the FDA later worked or consulted, consulted for the biopharmaceutical industry that was studying just one year, uh, a nine year period, I guess, in one field. The hemo hematological gun. I don't know. In one field, Michael. Um, and then they, they said this science has discovered that 11 of the 16 FDA medical examiners who worked on a, on 28 drug approvals and then left the agency for new jobs are now employed by or consult for the companies. They recently regulated 11 of the 16 FDA examiners who worked on the drug drug approvals. The vast majority who decide what drug gets approved or, you know, okay, to, is okay to stick in our arms are they're on the take. They are beholden to big tech for the big job to pay their big mortgages. This is a matter of of the highest sort of public corruption. And so we're laughing about it because it's kind of a funny video. And you might even feel a little sorry for the guy in the way that you feel sorry for anybody who gets caught doing something wrong and the kind of pity that that one feels for criminals. But, But to your point, Megan, this is deadly serious, truly deadly serious. These vaccines have been mandated. People have been forced to violate their conscience in many cases because the vaccines were produced using and uh, developed using aborted fetal cells. Uh, they, they have been forced That's to get right. it uh, against their will, knowing the risks or suspecting the risks. People have died from these vaccines. People have had very serious complications from these vaccines. And then furthermore, to the type of research that we're talking about here, gain-of-function research, gain-of-function research has killed people. If, as seems likely, gain-of-function research was involved in, in launching the pandemic in the first place, many, many, many people have been killed because of this. And uh, uh, Dr. Fauci, when he was discussing the risks of gain of function years ago, he said, well, you know, it's basically worth the risks. Yes, it could go awry, but the benefits outweigh the potential costs. Well, even if that were the case, that ought to be a matter for public debate. I don't think that the benefits seem to outweigh the costs here, but that should be a matter for public debate, not, not for, for a pharmaceutical company to hide and, and lie to the public about, and then for that same pharmaceutical company to, to control the regulators who should, at the very least, be asking questions about these kinds of activities. Yes, it's true. And before you start to feel too bad, I'm talking to myself. For Jordan, here he is feeling pretty good about the amount of dough his company is collecting. And notwithstanding the risks of this making the viruses more potent um, activity, it's SOT7. Isn't that the, like the best business model, though? Like, just control nature before nature even happens itself, right? Yeah, yeah. If it works. <laughs> what do you mean if it works? Because, like, some of the times there were just mutations that pop up, right? And they were not prepared for it, like with Delta or Omicron right. and things like that. So, who knows? I mean, either way, it's going to be a cash cow. COVID will probably be a cash cow for us for a while going forward. Like, yeah. I obviously like <laughs> Well, I think the whole, you know, I think the whole like research of the viruses and mutating it like would be the ultimate like cash cow. Yeah, it'd be perfect. It'd be perfect. And he says it's hard to hear there, but he says, well, some of the times um, mutations pop up that we're not prepared for, like the Delta and the Omicron and things like that. 
Yes, the things that killed a lot of people, uh, Delta in particular. Yeah, those. that's why we're concerned about this. But you can hear him enjoying the notion of it's still going to be a cash cow for us. You know, a lot of people called us rubes, those of us early on who were skeptical of the whole COVID regime and the mandates and the lockdowns and the, the vaccines. And they called us rubes. They said, you don't understand how science works. I think those people don't understand how politics works because anybody with two brain cells to rub together could have realized at the beginning of this whole lockdown nonsense that a handful of companies, a small number of individuals stood to make a ton of money from the COVID regime. The COVID lockdowns broadly represented the largest transfer of wealth from the lower classes to the wealthier classes in recorded history. Do you think that that, that doesn't have any effect on the kinds of policies that you're going to see pushed from the private sector, from the public sector, and by the way, the distinction between those two things is getting blurrier by the day? If you don't think that money has any role in that, I have got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you, along with all the vaccines and the gain-of-function research. Mm-hmm. Again, Project Veritas is the one that uh, got this story, broke this story. They're they're breaking their own records right now. So far, I think something like 13 million views on this video just posted last night. And people are interested. This affects everyone, every American and beyond. And uh, Pfizer, we know, has not been honest with us, has not told the truth, the full truth. We've we've interviewed people who are part of the vaccine trials who got severely injured and whose data did not show up in the trial. They were just dropped by Pfizer. That's not honest. So now finally we get I'm team Jordan. Go Jordan. He's telling us the truth. He's embarrassed and he's drunk, but he's telling us what appears to be the truth. And uh, hopefully the media will make sure this is not a one day story just because it came from James O'Keefe, who they already dislike, but who's the only one willing to do the Chris Hansen on those in power in another field. Michael Knowles stays with us as we now have our hands on the Paul Pelosi body cam footage. We're going to show it to you next. So, Michael, we just got our hands on the Paul Pelosi attack video. It's stunning. It's disturbing. We are going to play it and um, we'll probably play it a couple of times and talk about our observations. I just want to tell the listening audience what you're going to hear is um, two police. Well, maybe more of police officers show up at the door of Paul Pelosi. The door opens. Paul Pelosi's on the right and the attacker um, DePap is on the left. They're kind of holding hands, but not in a romantic way. It looks like DePap has his hand like on Pelosi's hand and has a hammer. Uh, Pelosi is also holding a glass, water glass, something like that. And you'll hear the police um, sort of greet them. Pelosi will say hi and it'll be self-explanatory from there. Let's watch and listen. Hi, how you doing? What's going on, man? Everything's good. Hi. Drop the hammer. Um, Nope. Hey, 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 hey. What is going on right now? I'm not getting an answer on call. Oh, shit. Hold on. Take it out of my door. I'm getting my call back. I'm working every single You see Paul Pelosi lying on the floor. He opens the door. I mean, keep in mind the report is that this man came into his house at 2 a.m. That Paul Pelosi was asleep in his bed, so he's wearing what appears to be boxer shorts and like a sweater up top, and um, DePap is dressed. And my impression looking at this, Michael, a couple things. There's no urgency when the cops show up. 
unclear who opened the door. It seems like, but it didn't appear to be the police. Um, they're standing there. The guy's got a hammer. And the cops are there because Paul Pelosi called. He, he used his phone to call 911 and made clear he that there was an attack underway, that there, there was something happening underway. Um, I wanted, I'm just looking back at my notes to see what he said. He called 911. He left open the line saying, what's going on? Why are you here? What are you going to do to me? And that prompted the 911 dispatcher to send police. Here's my thing. All along, we've been asking ourselves, why are the police being so cagey about this? Why, why are we getting conflicting information? Why wouldn't they release the tape? You know what my, my first impression is seeing this? The police have been involved in a CYA of themselves from the beginning. Hmm. They look like morons. Hmm. Why, why wasn't there urgency? They're the, they are the problem in creating all the speculation around this. Why wasn't there urgency? Why, why did somebody gently open the door? Why didn't they go in there immediately? They saw the guy. They knew there was an intruder. They knew this is the, the husband of the House Speaker. What, what was so, why were they so cavalier about this whole there thing? Were- there were questions about the dispatch call as well at the time before, obviously, before we had the footage of the, the cops at the house. You had transcripts of the dispatchers saying that the uh, intruder suspect was known to Paul Pelosi, who made the phone call. Again, I don't know if that was actually in the phone call, but according to reports, it was in the, the language of the dispatcher. So to your point, it could be that this was a police issue, that they just completely bungled this. But there are some strange questions here with Paul Pelosi's behavior. As you point out, Megan, it's unclear who opens the door. Paul Pelosi's got a drink in one hand and then his other hand is being held by DePop. So doesn't look like Paul Pelosi opened the door. Doesn't look like DePop is holding the door because with one hand he's holding Paul Pelosi, with the other hand he's got the hammer. That's very strange. There's no urgency from the cops. There's also no urgency from Pelosi. One would imagine that if, if you've had uh, someone break into your home, is holding you hostage with a hammer, particularly if your wife is the Speaker of the House of Representatives, you might say, help me, help me, that this guy's trying to attack me. Maybe not. Maybe it's two in the morning and Pelosi was just totally out of it for whatever reason. But I agree the behavior of the cops is, uh, is not quite what you would hope for in terms of urgency. But the behavior of, of Pelosi and obviously DePop is pretty strange too. I feel like I can understand perfectly why Paul Pelosi would, behaving, would be behaving bizarrely. He's just, he's an old man. He's been woken up in the middle of the night by this intruder in his home. He's scared. He knows he can't overpower the guy. And honestly, like we, the, the cops and the FBI, their stories did not match. They put out misinformation, which they then immediately had to cor- correct about what, uh, who opened the door. And there was something, there was something in the media about underwear and so, whatever. So the, the initial reporting on this was wrong. And the cops were very reluctant to release all this information. As I said, the media had to sue them to make it happen. And now I see why, with all due respect to the San Francisco Police Department, you blew it. You blew it. You knew the guy was in distress. You knew this is a public official making him more likely to be a target of this kind of attack. And you sauntered up there. You could have saved him. He had not yet been attacked by the time you opened that door. As soon as you saw that that guy had his hands on Paul Pelosi and had a hammer uh, there, you should have been all over him. Should have been waiting. How's it going? Hey, good. Can we just watch it one more time? Just just to hear the the exchange. in the verbal exchange that that is at the top. Hi, guys. how you doing? How are you? What's going on, man? Everything's good. 
Hi. Drop the hammer. Um, no. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. No. What's going on right now? I'm not getting any answer. I'm probably... Oh, 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 shit. Yeah. Okay. So there you have it. Drop the hammer. Like... Okay. I guess everybody's really just laid back in California. This, this could have taken place maybe at Venice Beach with the way that these uh, police officers sound so relaxed here. But a, right? a question I think we have to get from the answers on from the police is, did they know that this was Paul Pelosi? If they knew that this was Paul Pelosi, that dramatically changes the calculation here. If they thought it was just some random person they walked into, then who knows? Maybe it's an intruder. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe, uh, again, that dispatcher suggested that know. the guy was known to Pelosi. So maybe oh they God, were If they didn't by- know, how do they not know? It's not like they have that many uh, congressional leaders living in San Francisco, right? It's like she's the speaker of the house. You don't know where she then you're not doing your job. I just feel like in, in New York City, that is not how an NYPD cop would have sounded uh, under these circumstances. They're more but used Megan, to dealing there, with this stuff. There's another question. Wh- why do the Pelosi's not have more security? I, I'm not I'm not victim blaming. I'm not saying but it is really strange. I mean, I know I know medium-sized podcasters who have a lot more security than the Pelosi's <laughs> seem to have. I, certainly, I know plenty of, of politicians who have more security. This woman is third in the line to the presidency. Is, where was the security? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she wasn't there. There would have been security had she been there. But still, it's a very good point. How did the guy just manage to you know, break a window and get right in? How, how is it the cops didn't have this house on their radar? How was it not like, oh, my God, Pelosi's house got broken into? All sorts of questions. Um, I do want to say this. The, the DOJ claimed in an indictment uh, filed on November 9th that the officers opened the door themselves. That does not appear to be true. That's not true. And the body cam footage, which we're now looking at, had, was then viewed by San Francisco DA's office. And it's it, they came out later, San Francisco DA, and said, this body cam footage confirms it was Paul Pelosi who opened the door and let them into the home, that it was Paul Pelosi. Now, I don't see Paul Pelosi opening the door in this video. Maybe there's more to it. But the point, my point is that we've been misled by law enforcement officials from the start on this. To me, it's very aggravating because people who smelled a rat and like something's not adding up. What do you mean? Why? How could any of this have happened in the way you're saying? I'm I'm one of the people who asked those questions. I didn't go to their gay lovers like many people did on the you know Internet. Um, but I just wanted more answers to what happened. Got labeled like disinformation artists by The New York Times. And I right. know and my sin, if you look at the actual New York Times uh, article on it, was my sin was wants more information about the attack, believes not all information has been disclosed. The irony of the New York Times then suing to get more information about the attack. They were one of the complainants who demanded that they release the body cam video, which is what I'd been saying, too. And many people have been saying, but this is it's just part of a larger story where people who want more information because we feel like we're not getting the full skinny, whether it's from law enforcement officials in San Francisco or law enforcement officials who work for the FBI in Washington are shamed. Right. It's situational because the left is about to unleash on law enforcement in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, in connection with a with a the horrific killing of an unarmed black man by five black police officers. And I get that. But they, they have fewer questions when it's a city they love and it's a it's a victim they love uh, that we're supposed to look the other way. 
Of course, Megan, I'm going to break the cardinal rule of pundits here and just say, I don't get it. I don't get it. I've now watched this tape two or three times. I, I don't get the police behavior. I don't get, obviously, I don't get to Pap's behavior. I don't totally get, I just, I just don't get it. And, and to, to your point, we were given a narrative by the DOJ. We were given a narrative by local police. Those were lies. I don't get why they were lies. I don't get why this story became a huge national story to the point that the president of the United States gave a speech on it right before the midterm elections. And then it just disappeared all of a sudden. Everyone is acting very, very sus to use the, the language of the youths. And I, I would just like some says. more information. Yeah, I know that we're about to get the 911 call. Uh, we'll have it in just a bit and we'll play that, too. And we're not sure if we'll have it in the next couple of minutes. But just to, for as a reminder, one of the reasons it became such a national story was the left decided to blame it on the right. They decided to blame it on right wing rhetoric that led to this horrific attack. And then the, it took about two minutes to dig into this guy to pop's history to realize he's a lunatic. He thought he was Jesus for a year. He spoke to fairies and made some little home for them. His ex gave an interview with the San Francisco Chronicle talking about how he could never hold, much, hold a job. He's been homeless. He suffers from mental illness. Um, he's a broken child in an adult body. He's got serious mental problems. He did help me fight against San Francisco's public nudity laws, which she wanted. She was a nudist, and so was he for a time. Okay, great. Believed there was a shadow government. Um, on and on it went, but he was paranoid, believed people were watching him, and on. They, they refused the left to acknowledge this is a sick man on the streets of San Francisco because of the San Francisco policies, because San Francisco refuses to clean up its homelessness problem, its drug addicted problem, uh, and th the fact that it looks the other way when rampant mental illness is running around the streets endangering its residents. They don't care. They think that's what bleeding heart liberals are supposed to do. And that problem crept its way right up into the home of Paul Pelosi. Well, these are the, the two big takeaways if, if we had a magic wand and could do the whole thing over again is obviously to prevent this, you would need to take care of lunatics and get them off the street and you would have to have much more active and aggressive policing. Those are two issues that the left has run so hard against for, for the past, not only years, but past several decades that they, they, they can't possibly admit that. And so they try to paint this Looney Tune as, as MAGA country or something, you know, try to paint him as a Trump supporter, don't really see that anywhere. And then when that doesn't work, the story goes away. Correct. Well, we'll see now. Um, we were not given the full story and the SFPD does have egg on its face and we were misled by law enforcement. So, you know, there's still a lot of questions to be asked. Um, and we'll stay on it. All right. I've got it. Oh, just as I was about to turn the page, we got the whole 911 call. This is the first time any of us has heard this. Uh, it's two and a half minutes. This is when Paul Pelosi found this guy to pop in his home. We are told he demanded to speak to Nancy. Pelosi told to pop she wasn't there. He the guy said he would wait for her. And then Pelosi got into the bathroom, we were told, and managed to call 911. Here it is. Police 74 2022. Oh, I guess I, I guess I, I called on the What is this? It's the San Francisco police. Do you need help? Oh, what well, is a gentleman uh, here just waiting for my wife to come back? Nancy Pelosi. 22, 23, and uh, he's just uh, waiting for her to come back. She's not going to be here for a day, so I guess we'll have to wait. Hmm. Zero, okay, two, do you need police fire or medical for anything? Eight seconds. Uh, 
I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Zero two twenty three and fifty eight yep. seconds. Yeah, there's, there's the. Uh, um, is the Capitol Police around? Two twenty. No, this is separate. They usually my wife. They usually here. They usually here at the house, protecting my wife. Uh, no, this is San Francisco Police. Friday, October. I I no, I understand. Um, okay, well, uh, and what do you think? Uh, he thinks everything's good. Uh, I've got a problem, but he thinks everything's good. Uh, okay, call us back if you change your mind. No, 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 this, this gentleman just uh, came into the house, uh, and he wants to wait here for my wife to come home. And so, uh, anyway, he's on the phone. Do you know who the person is? No, I don't know who he is. He, he, uh, uh, he has his, he's telling me, he's, he's telling me not to, uh, he's telling me not to do anything. What is your address, sir? Uh, 26. What is your name? Uh, my name is Paul Pelosi. Friday, anyway, this, this gentleman says that uh, he thinks everything ought to, you know, he, he told me to put the phone down and uh, just do what he said. Okay? Okay, Who? what's the gentleman's name? I don't know. What's that? My name's David. Da the name is David. Okay, and who is David? I, I don't know. I, what's that? I'm a friend of theirs. Yeah, I. I uh, he says he's a friend, but... But you, don't, but you don't know who he is? No, no, ma'am. Okay. He's telling me I'm being very leading, so I, I got to stop talking to you, okay? Okay. You sure I can stay on the phone with you just to make sure everything's okay? No, he, he wants me to get the hell off the phone. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay, bye. Oh, my God. What? Oh my God. Right? What did we just listen to? That it to shows you one that some reporting was wrong in the beginning because the reporting rightly said that that Paul Pelosi used the term friend to refer to this guy. But obviously in the context here, he says, I don't know this person. Oh, he wants me to say that he's a friend. He says that he's a friend of ours. And then, so, so Paul Pelosi, for it being two in the morning, handles this really incredibly well, very cool under pressure. And then this 911 dispatcher, okay, well, have a nice night. No, no. She's an idiot. Wow. She's an idiot. I'm sorry, but she's an idiot. That guy could not have been trying to telegraph. Obviously, they're both listening. The the perpetrator, the, the, the assault, his assailant is there and they've clearly got it on speaker. And the 911 operator failed to put together the fact that the criminal is listening to every word and Paul Pelosi's trying to play a dangerous game. He's been forced to where he's trying not to piss off the guy next to him, but he's tr clearly trying to telegraph. I'm in trouble. Get over here. And it's she's so like, obvious. and he says, my wife, Nancy Pelosi. Hello. Is she an idiot? And then she, he says, are, are the Capitol police around? No, this is San Francisco police. Oh my God. Oh my They're God. The question from the beginning is, who is hiding something here? Is it the Trump Republicans? Is it Pelosi and the Democrats? Well, now we have the answer. It was the cops hiding everything because of sheer incompetence. Yes, I, we're not done. Can you stay over? Can you stay to the top of the hour for a few more I minutes can. on this?
For you, right, Megan, stick, anything. Thank you, my friend. Stick around because we've got to squeeze in a quick break and there's much more to dissect. Don't go away. Michael Knowles is our guest today in an extraordinary moment as we finally get our hands on the 911 call. Paul Pelosi, then husband of the sitting Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, uh, made to authorities after an intruder named David DePap entered his home at 2 a.m. Uh, back in the fall. Nancy Pelosi was not at the home. Paul Pelosi was sleeping in his bed, according to the authorities, at 2 a.m. when this man entered his home. They found the, the means of uh, entry were via a back door through which he broke the glass. Um, there was a lot of speculation about what happened in this case because the information we were getting from San Francisco PD and ultimately the FBI slash DOJ did not match up. And people had a lot of questions about what this man was doing in the Paul Pelosi home at that hour. And the reports just sounded bizarre. And now we're getting much more of the story. I think Michael Knowles nailed it right before the break. The, the questions about who was covering up and or potentially covering up and why have now been answered. The San Francisco police had a lot to cover. <laughs> this this dispatcher's behavior for the first two thirds of the call is an outrage. She sounds like some kind of a moron. Neither you nor I has ever been in law enforcement. And it was very clear to both of us, and I'm sure to the listening audience right now, what Paul Pelosi was doing. If only you are a sentient human who would pay some attention, which was literally her job. We'll play it again. Police 74. Oh, I guess I, I guess I, I told my What is this? This is San Francisco Police. Do you need help? Oh, well, there's a gentleman uh, here just waiting for my wife to come back. Nancy Pelosi. Uh, he's just uh, waiting for her to come back. She's not going to be here for a day, so I guess we'll have to wait. Okay, do you need police fire or medical for anything? Eight seconds. Uh, I, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Zero, two, twenty, three, and fifty-eight seconds. Yeah, uh, there's the, uh, um, is the Capitol Police around? Two, twenty. No, this they, is San Francisco. They my wife. They're usually here. They're usually here at the house protecting my wife. Uh, no, this, this is San Francisco Police. Friday, October. I, I, no, I understand. Um, okay, well, zero, uh, what do you think? Seconds. Uh, he thinks everything's good. Uh, I've got a problem, but he thinks everything's good. Zero, uh, okay, call us back if you change your mind. No, 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 this, this gentleman just uh, came into the house, uh, and he wants to wait here for my wife to come home. And so, uh, anyway, he's do, you know, do you know who the person is? No, I don't know who he is. He, he, uh, uh, he has this, he's telling me, he's, he's telling me not to, uh, he's telling me not to do anything. What is your address, sir? Uh, 26. What is your name? Uh, my name is Paul Pelosi. Friday. Anyway, this, this gentleman says that uh, he thinks everything ought to, you know, he, he told me to put the phone down and uh, just do what he said. Okay. Okay. Who? What's the gentleman's name? I don't know. What's that? My name's David. The, the name is David. 
Okay, and who is David? I, I don't know. I, what's that? I'm a friend of theirs. Yeah, I, I, uh, he says he's a friend, but as but I said, I, I've never... But you don't know who he is? No, no, ma'am. Okay. He's telling me I'm being very leading, so I, I got to stop talking to you, okay? Okay. You sure? I can stay on the phone with you just to make sure everything's okay. No, he, he wants me to get that off the phone. Zero, two, twenty, okay. Six, okay. And zero, eight. Thank you. Seconds. Okay, bye. Michael. The, the parts. She said, he says there's a gentleman here waiting for my wife to come back, Nancy Pelosi. She won't be here for days. He's waiting. Okay, do you need police, fire, or medical for anything? Are you an idiot, madam? Okay, so that's number one. And then Paul Pelosi, Um, I don't think so. Clearly not. And by the way, he kicks it off by saying, oh, I guess I called I guess I called you by mistake. Right. He's clearly not telling the assailant he's going to call SFPD or 911. He's going to call to see when Nancy's coming back. Right, Capitol Hill Police, I'm going to get it for you, assailant. This woman doesn't get it. Um, so he says, you know, he's he's going to wait. Do you need us for anything? Need police for anything? He says, I don't think so. Then he says, is Capitol Police around? Uh, they're usually here protecting my wife, who I've already told you is Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, yet no alarm bells have gone off for you. And she says nothing. Then she says, no, this is San Francisco police. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. And then he says, I understand. Um, and then he says to DePav, I don't know. What do you think? He's trying to say, like, we're buds. We're in it together. I got you. You want Nancy. I'm going to find Nancy for you. Wink, wink. Right. Uh, what do you think? Uh, he thinks everything's good. I've got a problem. And even at that point, this moron says, OK, call us back if you change your mind. Oh, my God, Michael. The, the one that got me the most was that second one. It was the OK, well, do you need anything? Da, da, da. He goes, is there is there Capitol Police around? No, this is San Francisco police. Like you're like you're calling your bank, like you're calling an airline. Hey, oh, no, yeah, that's a different department. Call this number. See you. Bye. He goes, no, no, I'm not. I'm not ready to go. Uh, Okay, well, call us if you need us. Call us if you need us. The, the fact that this guy was able to keep his cool, not just out of fear of the assailant who was in his home, but out of just pure rage at this incompetent woman. Yes. I, I, I can't tell. Is the solution here to fund the police much more so that they can hire people who can do the basic function of their job? Or are the libs right? Should we just defund the police and start over? Because this is oh just, just so... Absolutely shocking. The, the initial reports were contradictory, as you say, Megan. Law enforcement was was not agreeing with each other. Then the video, I think, was inconclusive. The video did not make a lot of sense. It frankly raises more questions than answers. This 911 phone call is convincing and damning. And I can see why the police did everything they could to prevent it from coming out. Yeah, me too. If they look ridiculous, they should be wow. embarrassed about how they handled this, both in that dispatch call. And I understand it's a stressful job and you've got to figure out a lot. But please, and anybody, I mean, my nine year old would have had it well before this dispatcher got it. And then I was going to say initially, well, maybe that excuses the cops in showing up at Pelosi's house of the way they handled it. But I don't think so, because even this moron who took the call got it by the end and mm. understood He's not a friend. He's saying that. But I have a problem and I don't know him. Oh, and by the way, I've already told you my wife is Nancy Pelosi. And so I'd love to know now what was the communication between her and the police officers she dispatched? Did she make them perfectly clear, as she clearly should have, 
who they were dealing with and the fact that this was an intruder situation where the guy was scared and trying not to, you know, like clearly communicating that he was in distress without saying those exact words. In any event, to me, any cop would have shown up there, guns drawn and mm. ready for anything. But these cops let this guy, they, Paul Pelosi wasn't hurt. He wasn't hurt when they, when that door was opened right. and, and who opened the door remains unclear. The, the question I have now is if this is the treatment that Paul Pelosi gets from the San Francisco police, what do the regular people get? If the oh dispatchers can't hear this man all but shouting into the phone, come over here right now. A man is trying to kill me and my wife, Nancy Pelosi, speaker of the house, get over here right now. He's all but doing that. And if, if the dispatcher can't, can't understand that, what about a, a, an abused wife? who is calling the cops and trying to be somewhat surreptitious and and right. implying that she's in danger rather than explicitly stating it. What what about a person who's a regular person facing a regular burglary? What are 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 any of these people getting the first response services that that they're paying for and that they deserve? Yeah, that's exactly right. I I have no idea, but I feel like they need to answer for this behavior because they caused what was a crime that happened to have been caught in part in, on camera to become this out of control story where people kept asking question after question after question and keep kept getting stonewalled. And look, if you just pull out and release parts of what Paul Pelosi said, you could make him look bad. You could. And, and that is how I feel this was initially released by law enforcement um, without revealing their own sin in the progress and the utter befuddlement for some reason of this 911 dispatcher who's literally in the job of trying to discern levels of emergency that call you don't you don't accidentally call her um he, yes he said i called by mistake he said right up front there's a gentleman here trying to get my wife Nancy Pelosi hello i'm wondering whether this woman even knew who Nancy Pelosi was there's no light bulb michael she doesn't say like Nancy Pelosi speaker of that is it possible this woman didn't know I, I think it's likely that this woman didn't know, given her tone in the phone call. But you, you've hit on a point that's so important here, Megan, which is earlier, earlier you mentioned that there were all these conspiracy theories floating around. Initially from the left, you had the conspiracy theory that this was some kind of Trump conservative Republican agent or something uh, who had his wits about him. Then you had all of these conspiracy theories from the right that Paul Pelosi was having some drunken orgy or something, that this guy DePop was his lover or something like that. But where did those conspiracy theories come from? They came from the leaked words of the transcript, the, the leaked reports about this cop interaction that made it seem as though this guy was a friend of Paul Pelosi, that Paul Pelosi was not in distress at all. Who leaked it? Who, it wasn't the Republicans leaking it. Republicans don't have any power in San Francisco. I don't even think it was the Democrat politicians leaking it. It was the cops. The cops were the ones who had the transcript, who had the dispatch call, who had the body cam footage. And they're the ones who leaked it to make it look in the reports as though this were some bizarre situation that the conspiracy theorists ran with. Mm, I'm just looking back on some of the initial reporting on this. Uh, this is via Politico, clearly having spoken with law enforcement from October 31st, 2022, saying officers arrived at the house knocked on the front door, were let inside by an unknown person. They discovered DePap and Pelosi struggling for a hammer. Uh, and after they instructed him to drop the weapon, DePap took the hammer and violently attacked. Not exactly, sirs, not exactly. 
uh, they discovered them struggling for a hammer. They opened the door calmly and there was absolutely time for the police to intervene. As soon as they saw the hammer, understanding what they had been told by the 911 dispatcher, they understood what they had on their hands. Uh, so all of this to me, I mean, forgive the comparison, but it, it has an echo of Uvalde where something horrific happened. The police were the first to sort of try to create the public narrative. And their number one concern was their own asses. And this this has a similar strain to it. Of course, uh, it, the, uh, the libs can almost be forgiven for thinking this was a politically motivated attack because the Pelosi's are the Pelosi's. <laughs> the conservatives, I think, certainly can be forgiven. The, the ones who indulged in some of the more eccentric theories, because according to the reporting, nothing added up. And it did seem like Paul Pelosi knew this guy. And th there were uh, all of the leaked aspects of this episode seem to suggest that this wasn't just a random guy breaking in to kill them. And uh, I, I think the only people who cannot be excused here are the people in the San Francisco Police Department hierarchy and that dispatcher, you know, and the people who were dealing with this at the time who completely blew it. And even if you're going to say, okay, you totally blew it. Well, uh, you were in the heat of battle or what about the people who covered it up? Now we have the surveillance video of the intruder breaking into the house. This is the first time we've seen that. Uh, let's watch it. I'll try to narrate it for our, our listening audience. I can't see much either. It's black and white. Uh, yeah, he's banging which, with what appears to be a hammer or some sort of instrument on the back, probably window, because we know that that was broken. He's going after it time and time again, really slamming it. My God. I mean, he's really, it almost looks like he has some, like an axe um, slamming down on what I think is the window of the back door over and over. Oh, and now the full shoulder knocking the door. Now the foot, the left foot, kicking the door. He's halfway in, a leg is still out, and he goes all the way in. So now we have the story. That's how he entered. He attacked Paul Pelosi in the middle of the night. A desperate Paul Pelosi called police. And as you point out, the domestic violence victim is a good analogy where you don't call up and say necessarily, if you haven't been hurt yet, he's going to attack me. You call up and say, oh, I can't find my child. My child left the house and there's an emergency that I need some. You know, you, uh, this has been done by people in danger since the beginning of time. And they had a completely moronic 911 operator who took way too long to get it, further increasing the stakes for Paul Pelosi. I don't know what she said to the police officers on call, but I'd love to hear how she relayed the emergency. They got there, took too long to realize that he was in grave danger. And that hammer coming down on Paul Pelosi's skull, in my view, could have been prevented. Before I let you go, Michael, I've got to ask you about another. I mean, it's not a good day for police uh, in the news. There is a terrible case coming out of Memphis, Tennessee, and it's starting to get more and more attention. Uh, Tyree Nichols was a man who was pulled over in a traffic stop that wound up becoming fatal. He was beaten to death by five cops. Tyree was black. The five officers were black as well. This isn't necessarily a, a racial thing, um, though those questions will be asked notwithstanding, even when we have black police officers that gets injected by people with agendas. Um, and the police chief has now fired all five of the men. They've been charged with murder, second degree murder, which the family of the of the decedent is saying they're OK with. They had wanted first degree, but they said there have been multiple charges against them. So they they're OK with second. Um, and now the police chief in Memphis is saying this videotape of the incident is going to come out tonight. And that the public needs to prepare themselves 
that this is going to be worse than Rodney King. That's a direct quote that Tyree was not driving recklessly, as the police officers claimed. And it looks like he hadn't done anything wrong. And it sounds like we're about to get something that's going to shock the conscience of Americans at a time when police have already been, you know, under fire, defunded, refunded, you know, called racists. All cops are bad. All cops are bastards, whatever they, you know, they, you've got public officials and their, their kids putting this on cars and so on. I feel like the nation's bracing now for something terrible as the family urges the mother of the decedent is urging people. She said, if you want to go out and protest and you see this video and it's going to be terrible, you do that. Do not burn things. Do not loot things. Do not do any of that in my son's name. He would not have wanted that as a young child at home. Uh, this is going to be this is going to be a rough couple of days for the country. What do you think? I'm going to try to reserve judgment as best as one can. Obviously, the, the reports are out there now. People are already forming their opinions. Uh, taking a cue from the Paul Pelosi episode, I am going to try to reserve all of the judgment here uh, un until we see the video tonight. Uh, it is, oddly enough, a saving grace that these cops were black uh, because if if this if the cops were white, if even one of the cops were white, this would be painted as a racial incident. It would become... Uh, far more combustible as a political situation than it is now. That's a sad fact, but it is a fact of our political culture uh, and just a, just a terrible tragedy. The question is, will this remain a local tragedy and a lo uh, essentially a local news story, uh, albeit a very sad one, or will this be blown up into, a, as you referenced, a Rodney King situation or any of the national police stories. The fact that all of the national police stories have had to do with race in recent memory, I think suggests this may remain a tragic, very sad local news story. And then, then the question for the police uh, there will, will uh, remain local to the, the constituents, to the, the people of Memphis. And, uh, uh, but but you're, you're seeing these problems crop up, as you mentioned, Megan, Texas, I, California. I there are questions about police all over the country. There's no excusing what we understand here was just a disgusting case of police brutality. But people do need to remember that poll after poll show that communities, especially minority dominated communities, want more police, not less. They want more cops on the ground protecting them from the bad guys. And when the police turn out to be the bad guys, it's particularly disgusting given their role and the need of, of all communities to be able to trust them and to be able to trust when they pull over. And yes, especially if you're a person of color, that you will not be unnecessarily harassed or hurt or killed. That, that's just a fundamental principle of society. But, but we must remember that the vast, vast majority of police officers in this country are honorable and are trying to serve and protect the community to the best of their abilities and are not out to hunt, as LeBron James said, uh, black men. And just a couple of stats. This was not a police shooting. This was a this man was beaten to death. Um, so these statistics I'm about to give you do not do not encompass the full scope of of deaths at the at the hands of police. But the Washington Post for the past uh, several years has been keeping a log of every person shot and killed by an on duty police officer um, and in particular has been looking at unarmed white and black men shot and killed by police officers. And this, these are the numbers so far in 2023, zero, 2022, seven, 
2021, 10. The police make 10 million arrests a year. All right. And the number of stops is far beyond that. 10 million. And you got There's another seven, fact here, seven Megan. last year. Go ahead. The, the other fact here is no matter what is in the video tonight, no matter what people take away and how, however the narrative goes, the simple fact is Memphis will be a much worse and more dangerous place if this incident leads to fewer cops being on the streets. Memphis has a big crime problem to begin with. And so uh, people are going to have a reaction. And this is really the meaning of scandal. Scandal is uh, when, when the good guys turn out to do very bad things. Scandal is when people lead other people astray. And so this scandal could have wide ranging effects. And if it is taken as a justification to reduce the police in, in Memphis or any other crime ridden city, then you could see many, many other crimes. You could see many other deaths coming as a result of this scandal. Yes, we saw that after George Floyd. And yet, if if you are the chief of police in Memphis, Tennessee, I mean, if I were getting to interview her, I think it's a her, um, my first question would be, is this a systemic problem? Like what what would make five officers, not one, not one bad apple, not one, you know, disturbed person like Derek Chauvin uh, go after five? You have five officers who participated knowing that there's body cams, not to mention, and police dash cams to beat a man to death, an unarmed man, according to the report. So why? What, what would make them do that? What is it? It's a fair question. What is Is there something in the culture of the police department? Is there something in the power trip or structure that some of your officers may have been on that, that led to that? Like, those are all fair questions that people forgive me for phrasing it this way, but who are more on our side, who are more, you know, quick to defend the police and not quick to just need jerk, condemn them without real evidence should be interested in asking too, right? This shouldn't just immediately, just because Ben Crump, of course, is on the scene. Uh, it shouldn't immediately boil down to sides. There should be a true exploration of how this can happen. Uh, of course. Uh, it, it's, typical for conservatives to wear the back the blue shirts. And, and we, we obviously are much, much uh, more vociferous defenders of the police because the, the civil authority is a good thing and we need law and we need order. And these are all uh, necessary to a flourishing and just and virtuous society. Uh, that doesn't mean that we don't recognize that this is a fallen world and bad things happen and we can make improvements and sometimes policies have unintended consequences and sometimes there are bad people that need to be dealt with. Of course not. And, and to, if, if people are, are so reductive in their politics that they just uh, make every issue merely partisan and knee-jerk, well, then, then we're not going to get very far in politics at all. We got to figure out what led to this. What why? Why would these five officers do this? Why? What takes over? What? You know, I, I too am relieved that I don't think this is going to be made all about race, uh, given the race of the officers. But there's something that drove them to do this. And we better figure out what it was. And the people of Memphis should should follow the recommendation of of Tyree's mom. Do do not riot. Do not hurt people or property in her son's name. That's not the way forward. Michael Knowles, what a great day to have you. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful that you were here with your always spot on analysis. Megan, always great to be with you. Thank you for having me. All right. To be continued. And coming up, we have former CIA agent Mike Baker is here. Looking forward to talking to him, my old pal from Fox News. Uh, he's been doing a lot. He's been watching this story and we will have his take next. My next guest spent 
15 years as a covert CIA agent specializing in counterterror and counter-narcotic operations. He now runs his own company, Portman Square Group, and is the author of a new book, Company Rules, or Everything I Know About Business I Learned from the CIA. I like that. Mike Baker joins me now. Hi, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing good, Megan. It's good to see you. It's been a while. Yeah, good to see you again, too. Good for you for getting out there with your thoughts and the book and on Rogan all the time, which is cool. I think you might be his favorite guest. Well, that's very kind of you to say. He's a great guy. I uh, can't say enough good things about him. Um, and uh, and thank you for mentioning the book. It's an audio book, so I'll put people's minds at ease because I don't I don't really know enough big words to write a whole book. Um, <laughs> but this is uh, hopefully an easy listen for people. And I narrate it myself, so it's it's really very soothing. I it's very soothing. I love yeah. audiobooks. It's almost the only way I consume books these days. It's just so easy. You can do it in your downtime and, you know, you're sort of drifting off to sleep and then you can go back for what you missed. Uh, really enjoying exactly. them. So, yes, I will dig in. Um, let me ask you, as a guy who, you know, had spent 15 years in the CIA trying to go after bad guys and help people color inside the lines, what you make of this Paul Pelosi news, that 911 call, Mike? Yeah, yeah. That I, I, I was listening to you talking with Michael Knowles earlier, and I think you you, you raised a really important point, which is that if you if you if you think like we would, right? If if you're somebody who follows politics, if you're somebody who who follows the news, right? Because that's part of your your makeup. Then yes, the nine one one operator uh, sounds uh, completely ignorant and completely you know uh, incompetent. But if you then put yourself in the place of a 911 operator who's just doing a job, right, and going home and not watching news and not caring about news because maybe they're a single parent, whatever it is. So I think when you said maybe the operator just had no idea who Pelosi is, and then certainly when he mentioned the Capitol Police, that wouldn't ring any bells. I, I think it, it, it puts it into some context that is maybe a little bit easier to understand. I don't I mean so I'm being too hard by calling her a moron because I'm, I'm like, do you need police? He's like, he's telling her in every way he can. Yes, I need police. Like she just wasn't right. getting it, Mike. Well, but the, the very and, and so, I, you know, I, I refrain I, I hold judgment on whether she's a moron or not. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I, I have seen uh, a real variety of, of abilities when we're talking about law enforcement and we're talking about the intel community and we're talking about government and we're talking about politics, you they're all over the map when it comes to their abilities, uh, their 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 training. Um, and that's part of the problem, which is, you know, what we always talk about when we talk about law enforcement. How can they do their job better? You know what? You need more and consistent and thorough training. And that includes somebody like a 911 operator who's really at the at the pointy edge of the spear when it comes to conflicts. When this guy, he says he's looking for my wife, Nancy Pelosi. He's waiting. I told him she won't be home for days, but he wants to wait. And then says his capital, he's police around. They're usually here protecting my wife. No, this is San Francisco police. Uh, then he says to the assailant, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? And says uh, he thinks everything's good. I've got a problem. And she responds, OK. Call us back if you change your mind. Come on. That's yeah. indefensible. Yeah. No, I, you can't. Ex I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with the fact that it, it sounds really bad. I'm just saying that I, I'm not surprised sometimes when I see a level of incompetency because it's based on a lack of knowledge or training. And I think that's what we're looking at here. Mm -hmm. But 
you can imagine Pelosi, and I think Michael Knowles mentioned it, and says he kept his composure in not just saying, what the hell? What do I have to say right. to you to get you right. to, to respond properly? And, you you know, and then, you know, then you have to wonder what was the response? What what was advised to those responding officers who showed up on the doorstep? Right. What was their brief before they showed up uh, based on that call and based on the 911 operators interpretation of that call? Right. So I, but I'm just going to guess I am going to guess that your average cop who opens the door and they should have known that it was Paul and Nancy Pelosi's house. If they didn't, there was a, another system failure. And you right. see the speaker of the house her husband standing there with with an assailant who's holding a hammer. There's it's not a good time for chit chat. It's not it's not the time. No. And 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 they said, you know, and look, they, they have to be able to assess the situation. I don't again, I don't want to sound like I'm apologizing for every step because there was clearly a, a sort of a cascading effect here of of mistakes of, of errors, right? And it actually started with the US Capitol Police uh surveillance feed. Right. That is in Washington, D.C., because they do have a surveillance uh, feed on the uh, Pelosi home. Uh, But it's one of many monitors within the complex there uh, that they have to watch. And so until those police cars showed up with the lights flashing and it suddenly catches your attention because you're looking at banks of dozens of other monitors. So that's the first problem. Well, then it kind of keeps going from there. Uh, But with the police showing up, you know, you can you can tick off in a handful of seconds. The moment from the time that they spotted the hammer, right, to the time they said drop the hammer, to the actual attack, and there's a there's a, a moment of assessment. They can't. They're not just going to knock the door down and charge it at Paul Pelosi and this individual, right? That's, you know, that's a movie thing. Uh, so they have to they have to be able to do a spot assessment very quickly. Unfortunately, you know, the the perp was able to grab the hammer in that short short period of time. Again, it doesn't excuse some of the other mistakes that took place. But I am saying that when the police rock up on a, on a, on a situation, it's a lot more complex than sometimes TV and film make it out to be. No, I appreciate that. And like, what do I, I've never been a cop. I don't, what do I know? I've practiced law and I've been a journalist. And so it's easy for me to, you know, pass judgment from my cheap seat over here. It's just to me in my layperson's eyes, it, it looks rather shocking knowing what they knew. The fact that like that attack did not have to happen. It, can we just look at it one more time? I just want to see that the the, yeah. the video of the cops showing up at the door um, to see, because to me, it seemed like an eternity to when they, the amount of time that they had to get that hammer out of the guy's hand. How you doing? How are you? What's going on, man? Everything's good. Hi. Hi. Drop the hammer. Um, nope. Hey, 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 hey. What is Pardon going on right now? I'm not getting any answer on call. Oh, shit. There you go. It's off. You know, Mike, I may be reading into it. The officer from his voice sounds kind of young. He kind of tells he's not, a, he's not an older guy. And that could mean not that much experience. I don't know. But yeah, you know, yeah. All Again, those you've got, you've got a, a, a problem with consistency of training, you know, throughout the, the law enforcement across the country. Right. And and they deserve more in terms of resource. I'm, I've never been one to say, you know, pull back funds from the police, because, look, if you want better police, you've got to train them better. Right. That's just the reality of it. You have to be consistent in that training. but I would I would say the, the bigger mistakes here and they, they've done a hot wash on this thing um, and, and they do what's called a gap analysis in terms of the security uh, that that takes place here. And the, mis- the, the real critical mistakes were, you know, the perimeter security that existed around Pelosi's home was was clearly um, inadequate. Um, the uh, the coverage of surveillance handled by the U.S. Capitol Police that obviously failed. Uh, because they they could have identified this problem if they'd been monitoring properly 
the home in real time. And then that line of communication, right, the, between the 911 operator, the Capitol Police, uh, the, the, uh, the, the local police that were responding, there was a, a lack of understanding as to what they were going to rock up on when they knocked on that door. So mm -hmm. those are the, those are the, 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 the real points of, of, uh, of problem here when you're evaluating something like this. Yeah, that this is they, they should have gone in there knowing this is a five alarm fire. Like we have a, a yes. deadly situation on our hands and you were not getting that feeling from that videotape and certainly not from the 911 call. It took her took her far too long. Right. Again, right, because so of this failure of communication from the start of this this whole effort. Let's uh, let's shift gears because 15 years in the CIA and I'm it's been back in the news lately. Um, the subject of the CIA and what, if any, connection they had to the most famous or second most famous presidential assassination of all time. And that was that of JFK. Um, mm -hmm. We were told back in 17 that they were going to release all the files. The CIA has files. and They were going to see them all. And then Trump postponed it. And uh, because the FBI went to him and said, don't do it. And I, presumably the CIA, too. And then uh, Biden did the same, though some were released in December, though not all. So we still don't have mm -hmm. all. Supposedly, by June, we're going to have all. But more and more, we're hearing speculation in the news that the CIA had a role in it. Maybe not coordination with Leah Harvey Oswald, but perhaps looking the other way, failing to do its duty, perhaps intentionally failing to do its duty. What do you make of these, the speculation and the growing fervor behind that theory? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I understand why it's, it's such a powerful uh, conspiracy that just won't it will never go away right it's just you know even even if they released everything they have there'll still be folks out there saying no that's not how it happened it happened this way because nobody wants to believe right that something that impactful that emotional could have been done by one individual you know much less you know somebody of, of, of lee harvey oswald's caliber and so i think that's that's helped to to create this uh, that just keeps building over the years is this idea that there were others involved releasing the documents. Look, I'll be honest with you. I think unless unless what they're doing is is waiting till every last possible person who was alive at the time um, is dead now. I, I don't know why they're they're holding on to anything at this stage unless and typically the only reason that you would do that is because it would reveal sources and methods or would reveal sensitive sources and if that's the case, then yeah, fine. You you maintain the classification, but right. yeah, I, I I would I would say never say never. But I'm not one who who has fallen down into this thing of of look. I think the CIA and other governments people are going to say that. Of course, that's what I would say. But I, I I haven't seen enough yet to say I'm connecting all of these dots and putting the CIA in there as a, the head of this big cabal that wanted Kennedy dead. Mm hmm. I mean, uh, RFK Jr. was on the show and definitely believes that it, I think he put, the, put it the military industrial complex was behind mm -hmm. his dad's assassination and that of JFK as well. It's that's his belief mm -hmm. based on all of his you know research. And it's been considerable sure. given who he is. Um, and then Tucker Carlson made news the other night with this news. I mean, this is a one source mm -hmm. unnamed. And the guy didn't put, you know, a fine point on it. Exactly. There's some wiggle room right. in the soundbite that Tucker's about to. Read, a lot of wiggle take, room. Yeah. yeah, a lot of wiggle room. But take a listen to what he reported the other night. We spoke to someone who had access to these still hidden CIA documents. A person who was deeply familiar with what they contain. We asked this person directly, 
did the CIA have a hand in the murder of John F. Kennedy, an American president? And here's the reply we received verbatim. Quote, the answer is yes. I believe they were involved. It's a whole different country from what we thought it was. It's all fake. It's hard to imagine a more jarring response than that. Again, this is not a, quote, conspiracy theorist that we spoke to. Not even close. This is someone with direct knowledge of the information that once again is being withheld from the American public. And the answer we received was unequivocal. Yes, the CIA was involved in the assassination of the president. Hmm. It was a part of it was unequivocal. The answer is yes. But then, according to Tucker, the answer when I I believe I believe they were involved. So. A lot of people exactly. believe that. I think you, you've, 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 you've carved out the most important part of that sentence, um, along with that last bit, which, uh, excuse me, but does sound like a conspiracy theorist, <laughs> where the country is not what we thought it was. And I think, OK, it's scary. Look, if, 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 if you, you know, just identify yourself, if you've got access like this and you and, and this is what you believe, then, yeah, you've got an obligation to come right out and tell us that the country is not what we thought it was. Fine. Let's or if you've seen the document, leak the document. Leak it. Yeah, do it. I mean, if that's the case and, you know, let people decide for themselves, then then fine. But I, I, I just haven't I, I haven't seen that. Look, Lee Harvey Oswald was on the agency's radar. Right. Lee Harvey Oswald lived over in Russia. Right. He married a Russian woman. He mm-hmm. came back. He was he was he was. He was not just fascinated by, he was impassioned by the Cuban revolution and Castro. He was desperate to show his importance to the, the, the Soviets and Castro. He had a disappointing existence over in the Soviet Union where he ended up working for a, a radio you know, factory because um, they kind of realized, okay, you're, you're, you're not really important to us. They shove him over there and just kind of gave him a place to sit. Uh, he comes back, he goes down to Mexico, makes contact with the Soviet embassy there, He's he, again, he, that puts him on the radar because it's the Cold War. And you better hope that, you know, we're monitoring and listening to what the, the Soviets are doing. And so they're in contact with Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, so, yes, he's on the radar. There's no doubt about it. But Lee Harvey Oswald, when people say, well, what was his motivation? Well, in part, if you want to go this route or fine, go the conspiracy route. But if you're going, you know, the route of, you know, was Lee Harvey Oswald the shooter, then he was. You know, he he was out to make a statement and, that you know, he was fascinated with the and, and like I said, impassioned with the whole revolution. And he was out to make a name for himself as far as Castro and the Soviets were concerned. It doesn't seem like if the CIA had some smoking gun document that showed they, they had a hand in this, they would fork it over ever. I'm sure they those documents would have been destroyed and we're not going to get the big reveal in June where they're like, we did it. Right. So it's like expectations should be tempered. They are already withholding thousands of documents, according to the reports under the sources and methods uh, objection. So, I mean, I, we're never going to know, are we, we're never going to know, no. Well, we, we may, we may have all the facts laid on the table at some point, but it doesn't mean that we still won't have the conspiracy theories. Um, and, and, uh, that's just, that's the way things, things work. But I, I do think the interesting thing that I, uh, one of the things I took away from all my time behind the curtain there, seeing how, uh, government works and the Intel community works is, you know, is that, um, I, and I firmly believe this people can't keep their yap shut for a, a, you know, an inordinate mm-hmm. amount of time. So if True. there was some massive secret and the agency had been behind it, uh, I'm pretty sure we would have heard about it because the, Honestly, God's truth is, you know, they Washington can't keep a secret. 
And there would have been enough people uh, that would have had eyes on that to, you know, at some point come forward. So I, again, never say never. I always kind of cover that because I've, I've, I've looked at things. I, it wasn't, uh, we did two seasons so far with discovery of a show called black files Declassified. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, we look at a lot of, of, uh, interesting, very interesting topics, including some conspiracy theories. Um, and so never say never, but okay. I'm not there yet, but you're, you're at, you're at, I doubt it. Okay, so that's for the yeah. record. Um, so let me ask you because there's been so much coverage lately, especially of the FBI and whether it's a, become a political operation and whether whether it needs to be sort of taken down to the studs and rebuilt because it's been mm-hmm. politicized by people from within, from leadership, and so on. Uh, having been 15 years at the the brother organization, the sister organization, what do you make of those claims? And do you think the CIA may suffer from similar problems? Yeah, that's a really interesting and uh, an important question. Um, I think to start with, you never want a politicized uh, intelligence organization or law enforcement. And you, I've, I've spent so much of my time overseas in difficult or you know, challenging environments where every time there's a change in the leadership, there's a wholesale change in the intel community. And, and you know, they just bring in their own people and it's highly politicized and we never ever want that. So it's an important question to always ask. It's an important question for um, hopefully functioning, curious politicians who are responsible for oversight on the various committees to be asking constantly. Uh, And it's important for the public to be keeping that front of mind. Now, I think over the past few years, yes, we've had uh, FBI senior personnel uh, I'm not talking about street level operators at both, you know, the agency or, or the FBI, but senior level personnel who became a little too enamored of, of contact with the White House and you did, you know, become uh, more political uh, than is desired. They should Don't be you think able- Comey got drunk on his own power? He was just tweeting out photos of him under the Klieg lights waiting for George Stephanopoulos to interview him. My God. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think you could argue uh, Comey. Uh, look, John Brennan had, you know, uh, over at the oh. agency had a very good relationship with Obama. Uh, I think he also uh, found that very uh, enticing. Uh, so uh, all I'm saying is there you want that you want that close uh, contact with uh, the administration. Right. Because that's that's important in terms of the flow of information and communication. But there's got to be a firewall in terms of the politics of it all. And yeah. we and again, to repeat myself, you never want a politicized intel or law enforcement uh, federal organization. It's true with respect to the uh, intelligence agencies and the military. Right. We want the same thing for our generals who get a little too cozy right. and, you know, have their eye on power instead of on their troops and mission focus and all that. All right. And we only have a couple of minutes left. So I, I've got I want to ask you some fun things. What are some of the funnest yeah. tools you've ever used in the CIA? What's give us something behind the scenes, some covert thing you got to do or use or something that w- would excite people at a cocktail party? <laughs> I tell you, I tell you what excited an asset the most once. Right. I can't talk about a variety of things. And obviously I'm not going to, I can't talk about tech here really, but I will tell you in an, in an operational meeting one time in the middle of some, it was, a, it was, I don't even, I don't even know what's after a fifth world country, but uh, <laughs> it, we finished the meeting and I was, I, you know, he had handed me a couple of pieces of paper to write uh, or, or sorry, to, uh, to review as we were talking. And then he had to get off the X, he had to get out of there and I had to get out of there. 
And while he's talking, I'm busy folding this paper. And there's a, a thing I, you can do called a fan fold. It's not, I'm not releasing sources and methods. People could Google it, I suppose. And so then I, I fan folded this paper. I set it on the table between us. And then I lit it uh, with, my, with my trusty Zippo lighter. And it just burns. It just goes straight down. No smoke, nothing. It just burns straight down, right? And that this guy, suddenly, I was like, Jesus, right? He was, he couldn't. <laughs> He couldn't believe what he'd seen. And I, I'm staring at him thinking I hadn't even thought about it. But I, I thought, you know what? Yeah, that, that was pretty cool. Um, so <laughs> Wait, you, you, did uh, you read it first? You read it and then you burned it right in front of oh, you. Oh, no, no. I, I didn't want to know anything. I just, I just burned what? it. No, of course Why? I read it. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, you fooled me. It was, no, it was, it was uh, and then I kept it all up here and, and uh, then got rid of it. So. And then you walked out of there with a little new swagger in your step. A little swagger. A little swagger. Because, but that was it. So that was the one thing that I thought. You know, of all the stuff we've done over the years and all the things we've handled, that seemed to impress somebody the most. You still got the swagger in your step. So what are people going to learn if they buy this book? Uh, um, well, there's nine, uh, nine rules, right? And I came up with nine because I couldn't think of a tenth. But there's uh, they're, they're, they're what I took away, right? This book is not about uh, my time in the agency. It's about when I left and started the business. And the idea is I found I had a limited set of skills when I left the agency. But I started this business and after a while, I realized I was able to keep it growing and building and breathing because of some principles that I took away. Other people who worked for the agency, I'm sure they took away their own rules. These happened to be mine. And I hope that people will take away one or two or three of these that can help them, not just in business, but, you know, hopefully in life. Um, and that that sounds very deep, doesn't it? That sounds appropriately deep. Sign up for the swagger and check it out. Mike, thanks so much. I hope you come back. I, I will. I'd love to. Thank you very much. All right. All the best. Uh, and now don't forget, folks, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's called Company Rules again. Uh, thanks for joining us today. And all week, we've got a great week of shows lined up for you next week. We'll stay on the Paul Pelosi story as it develops. In the meantime, download The Megan Kelly Show on Apple, Pandora, Spotify, and Stitcher. YouTube.com slash Megan Kelly if you want to get the video. And today would be a good day to do that. And don't forget to go to MeganKelly.com if you want to get my Friday email. i got a lot of fun stuff in there for you including a fun little rant that we went into yesterday that's blown up some uh, corners of the internet. So, MeganKelly.com. In the meantime, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear.